Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast. I'm your host, James Woodham. And I am your co-host, Juliet. Juliet has a decade of architectural experience in the US. And James has completed over 250 home renovations in the UK. Together, James and I have over 35 years experience designing and building homes. This podcast was created to give you, the homeowner, the power and the knowledge to get your project done right, on time, and with quality workmanship. We've been going for just over a year now, and we have over 50 episodes for you to listen and absorb all the information from key experts in the industry. That's right. We've spoken to industry leaders, builders, architects, and the best part of what we do is hear from you, the homeowner, what went right and what went wrong. We really hope you like listening to this podcast, and if you do, please leave us a review. Reviews expose us to more listeners, which in turn means we can help more homeowners save money and avoid the chance of things going wrong. With that said, let's get into today's show. Hey guys, welcome to the 99th episode of the Property Renovation Podcast. Yep, episode 99. That means next week, James and I are recording the 100th episode. And to celebrate recording the 100th episode, we are actually running a little competition or a little giveaway. And the prize will be either $100 or £100 in Amazon vouchers or an Amazon gift card. Or if you're in the UK, um, you will actually, and you are the winner. <laughs> if you're the winner and you're in the UK, you will be eligible to choose between a hundred pound a voucher for either Amazon or Screwfix. But to enter, anyone on anywhere in the world can simply leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform it is that you get your podcasts on. Leave us a review, take a screenshot, and just send us a DM on Instagram. And you can find us on Instagram at Property Renovation Podcast. Pretty simple. Hope everyone joins in and we look forward to picking a winner next week. All right. But for this episode, for episode 99, for episode 99, I had the special pleasure of speaking with Sarah of Format Designs. She is an interior designer. She's got a lot of experience in residential. She also has some experience doing commercial and I've just actually been getting to know her over the past few weeks and having some lovely chats with her. And when she was kind of telling me the story about she and her husband renovating their own home, something that stood out to me was how the lighting design was the first thing that she did. And so it's not at all my process. I do not do the lighting design first thing, but I really appreciated it because it's definitely a very important part of your home, of how you experience your home, of the the mood, how it, it's just, it makes, good lighting can make all the difference in a project. And so this week I speak to Sarah about lighting design, about setting the mood, and we kind of just move through all the major spaces in a home and we talk a bit about bathrooms and bedrooms as well. There's a few basic principles that kind of make their way through all of the spaces but um, take a listen and hopefully you'll get some really good tips and tricks about how to set the right mood for your home. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. How's your week going? Yeah, it's good. Very busy, but it's been good. So I want to say welcome to your first episode here on the Property Renovation Podcast. Thank you. And I've been enjoying getting to know you the past few weeks, but for all of our listeners who have not met you yet, um, why don't you give us a quick um, introduction and a little background on how you got into the industry? 
So my name is Sarah. Um, I run my own business currently, but to start with, I actually wanted to be an architect. And I went to um, work experience at an architect's firm and I was sat next to the interior designer and I was just for the whole week like, uh, actually, I really want to do what you're doing. So then went to university, um, did interior design, and then got my first job doing residential design, uh, mainly for sort of London-based properties, lots of property renovation, which was quite good because then it made me explore sort of like more of the building side of things. I really like that sort of structure of like the architecture side of things. So it was quite interesting to learn about that. Um, then sort of moved up in property development, went to another company, sort of went into larger properties um, and then found myself a gap where I could decide if I wanted to take things on by myself. And I thought, yeah, no, I really, this is what I want to do. So that's how I sort of became how I am. Interesting. So for the majority of your career, it seems like even when you did property development, was that residential property development or was that a lot of commercial as well? It's been mainly residential. So oh. I briefly did um, a year's contract work for a commercial company where I learned sort of lots of the offices. I did some labs and restaurants, which was so interesting because it's a completely different side that I've never done before. So it was really interesting to sort of learn all of the new like suppliers all the regulations, doing all of that sort of thing. So I've taken a lot more commercial work on by myself, which mm. I really enjoy. It's something very different and I really like doing it. So it's been, that was a blessing to be able to sort of learn all those things. Right. I always think it's, um, personally for me, you know, my work is like you mostly residential, but every once in a while there'll be a commercial project sprinkled in. And then I always find it challenging because it's a, it's a, even though it's technically the same work, it's a very different sector very of the industry. And there's a lot, because it's commercial, there's, there are a lot more codes. And so I always sort of appreciate being reminded of all the rigor that actually really goes into, you know, yeah. the built environment around us. Definitely. No, I agree. It's, in, it's interesting to learn, but yeah, I definitely agree. It's a, it's a whole nother world. It is. But so... Moving away from talking about the larger built environment, the public realm, um, talking with you earlier, you mentioned that you uh, have been working on your own home for quite a while. And when we were talking about it, one thing that actually really stuck with me, I thought was so interesting was that you said the first thing that you did was to do the lighting design and a lighting plan. Yes. So I think it's really important when I am designing a residential place is to almost work from the bones forward. So I, I'm quite fortunate in the fact that I can walk into a room and know exactly what I want it to look like. And I think when it's your own place as well, obviously I've had visions of what I'd like it to look like for quite a while. So walking in, I knew where I wanted to put things. I knew what walls I wanted to use and the artwork that I wanted to hang. So the best way to start is from the bones where you have to do all your electrics, all your plumbing, all the, everything like that, because that's the things that have to be done first. I can't start thinking about all the finishes yet because I've right. got to get all the right wiring. And I think when things change and things develop and then all of a sudden a client or 
myself says, oh, I need to, I want to put a wall like that. That's when things start getting quite costly. So mm-hmm. I think having the lighting design um, fixed is really important to make sure you've thought of every single little detail, every sort of like wardrobe lighting or stair lighting, like everything to make sure that that's, um, that's the bones sorted. So true. I think, um, it's, it's actually interesting just because from my point of view, lighting is always in the back of my mind when I'm designing spaces. But I mean, starting with the site and the foundation and then it's, too, it's just funny because lighting to me is so far down yeah. the road. It's in the back of my head, but it's like, I know I'm almost done when I'm finally actually drawing out the ideas that have been in my head for so long. But yeah, I do think lighting is incredibly important. I think, you know, if you've ever been to like a restaurant or any sort of, any sort of boutique experience, you know, like a spa, like again, like restaurants, theaters, the entire mood is set by lighting. The atmosphere is so important. Mm -hmm. I think it just, it works throughout different times of days as well, like a different time of the day. So you, you have to think about how you want that lighting to look during the day. If it's overcast, if it's like three o'clock and it's a bit light, but not light outside, or if it's night and you're running downstairs to get yourself a drink of water, you don't want to be blinded. So that's when like different lighting and different techniques come into play. And I think it's really important to get those sort of things down first. Yeah. So today, what I'd really love to do is to basically kind of walk through a home and kind of have you give us pointers about what we should think about when designing the lighting for each space. So starting with um, the entryway, which is also often, you know, connected to a stair hall. Yeah. You first walk into a space, like what are your what are the first like questions or concerns for the entry and or stair? So the, my main thing for an entry is to make sure that the switches are accessible because as soon as you come into that property, you want to make sure that it is right there. It's pitch black. You just want to turn on the light and know that you're coming in. Um, I think it's really important to have quite bright lighting in an entrance hall because if you are coming in or if you are leaving it I think it's important to make sure that area is well lit um if it's a long hallway it might be quite nice to do some pendant lighting if you've got the ceiling high rather than LEDs like spotlights Mm. um also in our hallway we're having um a mirrored panel system Mm. and of the mirror and there's a recess where I'm having a little light fixture um, so I had to obviously make sure that there was power going to that before all of the paneling went up and made sure that all all the measurements are right to have that done. But it just gives it a little glow. It gives it a little atmosphere. So it doesn't have to be on all the time. But even if you're walking past the hallway, that sort of space is lit up a bit. Right. So you it, but there's still some sort of atmosphere there. Right. I also often find that um, designing the lighting around a stair can be challenging because stairs come in all sorts of configurations. Sometimes you have room to hang a pendant above the stair. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes the ceiling above the stair is really wonky. You may not have a nice surface, you know, for the canopy. You know, yeah. the, you know the part of the light, that little flat metal piece that actually hangs on yeah. the ceiling. Right. So, and, you know, the whole symmetrical, asymmetrical, yeah. Anyway, there's a lot going on with stairs. Do you have any sort of general like p- 
pointers and tips on how you approach designing lighting for a stair? So I think um, stair lighting is really important. Um, as I touched on before, I have said I have lights running up my stairs and I actually have them on a PIR. So it's a motion detector, which works exactly like a light switch, but just detects movement and heat. So you can get various different sizes of them. You can have them really tiny and put in like hidden, or you can have them the size of a normal um LED light. So you can have it in the ceiling and it just looks like a spotlight that picks up your movement at night. Um, and then that way, when you're going up and down stairs, you don't have to worry about turning the light on. It's, it's already lit. And then if it is night, then you're not blinding yourself, which is quite handy. Um, so I always think that is really important to have. Um, regarding the ceiling heights, I think if you have like a ceiling where you can't put something on it. I think wall lights are really important mm-hmm. because you can get some amazing wall lights these days. Um, and I think that that's the best way to take up maybe a space on your wall. You can get some that almost look like art. So it's a real lovely feature when people are walking up your stairs to have all this lighting. I think upstairs hallways don't necessarily need to always be as bright. I think because that is more of like a sleeping area, um, I don't feel that you have to have the same volume of light up there. So I think as long as it is well lit when you're walking around, I don't think it's maybe necessary to have like a ton of spotlights. Um, especially if you can't do that because of your ceilings vaulted or anything. Right. Um, but other than that, I love the long pendants over the stairs. I think it's really nice to have, to have a feature of some sort over the stairs, I think is really nice. So one thing that I often find is that when you look at photos online, the heights that people will install their wall sconces at varies wildly. And yes. So, and there are times when I definitely look at a photo and be like, mm, they got that right. That looks really good. <laughs> yeah. And there's other times when you're like, ooh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what are your thoughts on, um, how to determine the correct height for, you know, your wall sconces? So I always have a set height that I always use, which is 1.6 meters. Ah, okay. okay. That's my rule of thumb. That's one that I've always kind of stuck to. I think that's a really good height. I think it's a nice head height. I think it, it breaks up the wall nicely. Um, but that's the, that is the height that I've always, um, sort of stuck to. I mean, obviously, if you have really, really high ceilings, if you wanted to have it as more of an uplighter, obviously you can have it closer to the ceiling and then it will just illuminate up there. And I think that's quite nice. Um, but I, personally wouldn't have anything lower than that because I think then you're sort of you're coming down too too low. That makes sense. I I think similarly about that as well. I think I tend to install um exterior and interior wall sconces a little bit differently, but I mean we're mostly talking about interior and I generally again so we're switching between imperial and metric here. Um <laughs> I will install them anywhere between 56 to 66 inches above finished floor. Um, and I think that a mistake that I feel like I often see, and I mean, we can, maybe it's not a mistake, but my personal preference is, um, at that height, but I will see a lot of people installing them much higher. Yeah. I tend to think that it's too high because I think lighting is 
I mean, it's very related to the human scale, just like the scale of an average human person. And so it's kind of like designing a grand staircase, like however big and however grand and however like high floor to floor you get, a stair can only be so high, you know, so it's, it's sort of a set dimension. And in some ways lighting is too, because it's still that light has to hit the surfaces that you're going to be doing activities on, whether reading, playing a board game, like whatever you're doing. And so you can't get it too far away from all those surfaces that you want to be lit without it kind of becoming, I don't want to say useless, but I want to say less effective or just not quite. It definitely would be less effective. I fully agree. I think it's, I think it's really important to make sure that if you're using that light for lighting purposes and not decorative, that it has to be, it has to be useful. Awesome. I agree. All right. So moving on. So what about the living room? And so, and also would you design like a formal living room differently than a casual, more family get together room? Um, I think in a more formal living room, you're more likely to have artwork that would require, would require lighting over it. Um, sort of like having a picture light over. Um, and I do think maybe in a more formal living room, they are more likely to have the wall lights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that is, that's important to make sure that that is figured out. Um, I think also as well, joinery. Lots of people have the LED strips underneath the joinery in the shelving. Um, you do get that quite a lot more in formal living rooms, um, but a lot more people are doing it. I think it's really effective. I think it looks really nice, especially if you're just sitting there watching TV. You've got the lights on in the in the shelves. I think it gives off a really nice atmosphere. So that's another thing that I think is really important to think about is making sure all the wiring is to there. But also... I guess on another note is then how it's switched. I like to have everything quite separate. I don't like to have everything on the same switch. So then I can choose what I put on and off. And I guess the brightness, mm-hmm. I like to also have everything on a dimmer. Absolutely. If I want to have that specific light on for what I am doing, um, then I can control how how harsh I want that lighting. Yeah, control... like. The more control I think you can get over the space, the more flexible the lighting ultimately is. Yes, definitely. And I think that's really important, especially in the living room, when you want to create an atmosphere. If you're hosting, then obviously you might want it a bit brighter, but then if it becomes more into the evening, actually you want to turn the main light off, have some lamps on, have some put the wall lights on, but put them on in a dimmer just because you want the effect there, but you don't want the use of the light. Um, I think that's really important. What about um, just in terms of any pointers on how we can mix in those hardwired lights and, you know, lamps that we, you know, you bring in separately into the space? Um, I think lamps are, I think if you've got like a console table, or uh, a side table, then I do think it is important to have a lamp on it. I am a fan of a lamp. I love a floor lamp. So I think that if you say you have a chimney breast and you've got shelving either side, two chairs either side, I would like to have like a floor lamp over one. The other one can have like a coffee table and you have a nice little lamp on the other side. Um, I think it's quite nice to have the mixture of them. It's just 
like we were saying before about the levels, it's about having lighting at different levels. Obviously, on the ceiling, you've got that light that's up there. But actually, when you've got a little lamp on and it's quite low, it's quite, it makes it feel really super cozy. So in the winter, I think it's so lovely just to have a couple of lamps on and nothing else. Mm. I think it makes it feel really nice. I agree. And what about, um, do you recommend trying to place in floor outlets for those table lamps? I think it's, it depends on the size of the property. So at the moment I'm doing a property in Notting Hill and there we're having like a central table because the space is really quite long. Um, so the sofas that are going around are going to be floating in the room. So we've put floor boxes in there, but you can get these really lovely ones where you have the inlay of the flooring, which is great because they're they're basically hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think floor boxes are definitely important for lamps on tables that aren't necessarily going to be by a wall. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something that needs to be thought about. Yeah, for um, just because I'm an architect, not an interior designer, we will put floor outlets in our plans. But the note next to them is always saying, coordinate final location with interior yeah. design. <laughs> because I don't know what couch they're going to choose. I don't know. The no, this is the thing. Yeah, I think that's another thing that's really important is that's why you want to sort of, you obviously pick all your lighting, but then obviously that has to go with all of the furniture and dependent on the size of the sofa will be dependent on where those floor boxes go. But if you have in your head, I want to have a lamp on a table next to the sofa, then you know in your electrical plan that you have to accommodate for that. Um, so even though, yeah, I do like to work from the bones backwards, um, it is important to obviously make sure that everything coordinates. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it can be overwhelming to try and decide everything at once and bef- yeah. even before you kind of start construction because, I mean, you're just so, I understand, you're just so eager to get progress going, to start building, to yeah. start seeing something happening on site. But I mean, if you have the luxury of time in your schedule, if again, if you, if you can wait just a little bit yes. to coordinate everything, yeah. the end result and the time of actually when you're building will be so much less stressful yeah. because those decisions have been made. Everyone knows what's happening. There's a drawing everyone can point to and literally be on that same page. Yeah. And I, I think as well, that. like as the, as the design progresses, there are things that are going to be altered. Mm-hmm. So like you say, I think having that pack of drawings is just so important. So everyone knows exactly that what has been signed off, everyone knows what's going where and it's all coordinated and then it will just work. And then if you do come up against something, it will only be small and then it will be something that can be altered quite easily rather than a big problem of, oh, the whole wall's been plastered and now we've got to chase out everything to try and get a light in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's bring back this trade and then bring back this trade. It's, yeah. Those are the yeah. things you want That's to when it gets really expensive. Yeah. All right, moving on. So I think this is the room that a lot of people think about when they think of, you know, the atmosphere, but the dining room, sort of like the big entertaining center when you're having a dinner. How can we set the mood there? So I think it's really important to have either pendants 
or one one light, main light, over the dining table. I think that that is your focus point. It can be low, which I quite like, because no one's going to bang their head on it. As long as when you're sitting across from the table, you can see the other person. I think it's quite nice to have that sort of feature of like a large imposing light over the table. Um, I quite like the multi-pendants or the nice long lights. I think they're quite, they're quite nice. But then also having something, because I use the lighting in my dining room quite a lot. So I don't tend to have the main light on. I only tend to have that on when we host. Mm. So I normally keep the side lights on. So we have a chimney breast in our dining room. And so either side I have um, hanging pendant lights, either side of the chimney breast. And I've put them on sort of a really warm glow just so then I can put them on and it gives off a really nice atmosphere. But it's just something that when we have people over and we go into the living room and you're walking through the dining room, then it gives off a nice feel, but it's not too harsh. Right. But I think having having extra lighting in the dining room, either if it is wall lights, mm-hmm. something like that, a lamp on a console table, if you've got a sideboard, um, I think it's really nice to have that mixture. But I do think that the main light has to produce good lighting. It has to produce something where you walk into the room and it's like daylight, even though it's mm. not. And then, of course, just put that on a dimmer. Yes, always on a dimmer. <laughs> <laughs> always. Everything when on it's a out, dimmer. put it on a dimmer. Yeah. <laughs> so what about, you mentioned that you really like it low. So what mm-hmm. to you, what does low mean? So I guess it depends on the ceiling height. Um, we're quite lucky here. I have really quite high ceilings because we're in a Victorian house, which makes things easier for me because I can bring things down. But I quite like it. Um, I guess like about 900 above the table, just something that isn't flush with the ceiling. I just like to have a pendant. I like to have it quite imposing, something quite big. Mm-hmm. I think, I think sometimes even if it's a small room, I think the way it's designed, a pendant lighting above a table can take the impact of being oversized because that is this focal point, the table and that light is the focal point of that room. You don't have to worry about, say, like in the living room where you have seats over there and a sofa over there and you have the different areas where you go. That table is fixed, if you like. That is where you are. Right. If you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home, then the Akiva Toolkit could be the solution you need. With its easy-to-use package of 10 documents, you are able to manage time, budget, and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first-time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today. What about people's whose, if it's not, when it's a more informal space in the dining room tables, like off to the side? So I think then... How would Sorry. you handle the asymmetry there? I think, think because a lot of times, like in the, in, like in these, in these beautiful Victorian homes that you're talking about, I think we can all sort of picture 
Yeah. And that's sort of quote unquote easy because we all, we kind of all know what we want in that one space because it's designed for that one thing. But um, especially a lot of times in these more informal open plans, you know, the dining table, maybe just sort of off the side, kind of like, you know, there'll be like the kitchen wall and then the island and then there'll be the dining table, which will be up against the wall. I still think a big pendant. I think that that's how you, you almost zone the space. Like in um, the big open plan houses, you have your areas and then you've got to try and zone them. So it doesn't feel like a really like open, like a warehouse. No, yeah, with no feeling in it. So like the kitchen, obviously you can have some pendants over the island or you can have like a really nice design over the island. And then separately, the dining table is its own little feature. So I think actually that might be more important to make sure the lighting is over there, to make sure that that area is known that that is the dining room. Got it. Well, you already started talking about the kitchen. So let's just talk a bit more about lighting in the kitchen. So like you said, I think um, some pendant lighting, some little hanging lights over the island is pretty common and it's always a great look. But what other things um, do you think about when you design a kitchen? So I think if you are to have wall units, um, I think it's nice to have lighting underneath those. Um, I quite like, so if I use darker tones and wood tones in a kitchen, I like to go for a warmer lighting. So I'll go for one with like 4,000, with like 2000 Kelvins. So it's very warm. Yeah. yeah, It's really, really warm, but just gives off this really nice orange glow. And I think that's quite nice. Um, And then in the plinths, similarly, like you can have like either spotlighting in the plinths or you can have um, an LED strip that goes underneath the units. And I like to have those on a PIR as well. So as you walk into the kitchen at night, if you're just popping in to put a cup on the side or something, you don't have to turn on the lights. It's the light already just comes on automatically. So I think that's quite a nice feature to have, um, something that people need to think about when they, when they design kitchens. When you, and then what about spotlights? Yeah. Like I think spotlights are really important. I think when you're cooking, obviously you need a lot of light. Um, so I think spotlights are really important. I think as well, I think people tend to maybe think that they'll only need like, Oh, I'll only need three or I'll only need this many. But I think the kitchen is somewhere that can take more lighting. So I think that no one should be put off by putting obviously not lots and lots of spotlights but I mean like it can handle a substantial amount because obviously you want that area to be bright when you're cooking you want to be able to make sure that that is the space where you can see everything absolutely I think um for me doing the kit I actually find designing the spotlight so you know the recessed lighting in these more modern open planned things pretty challenging because you want to set up a rhythm around the kitchen and kind of usually kind of around an Island, you know, but then that is just sort of open, but it bleeds right into the dining area and the living room area. And then you want, for me personally, I still kind of try and keep some alignment of those lights all the way down. Oh, definitely. And it's just, I mean, in my drawings, if you can kind of imagine, I have all these like, um, guidelines, just these dotted lines, like 
just a million of them trying to find out exactly where to line everything up, trying to find this center line and what other center line can I align that with? It, it gets, it is, it does take careful thought, I think, to lay out that whole space. And so I would encourage everyone to really take your time with yeah. that because it's still, like you said, I think, you know, you do want to zone all of those different activity areas, but it still reads as one big space. Yeah. I think that's really important to have the flow of spotlights through. That does, like you say, tie everything together. Mm. And then using zoning lighting, light lamping and pendant lights to create those separate areas. They can be completely different lights or they can be similar if, if that's what the person wanted. But yeah, touching on what you said, like it's, it's so difficult. So if you have like a big L shaped room and you have to try and line everything up, it is very difficult to make sure that everything looks how it's supposed to be. Everything's in line and nothing's just one by itself in the corner. Right. And then the other thing you should just be aware of is that you'll, if you try and you can do it all ahead of time, which I encourage you to try and plan that all out, mm-hmm. but um, don't be discouraged when it comes time for the actual like roughing in of all the electrics, because it will change 100% because yeah. Because pretty much a hundred percent of the time, those recessed lights are going in between joists of the ceiling or the floor above. And so that center line where you thought you could put that light dead center in that aisle, it, there's most likely going to be a joist there. So it's going to have to ooch one way or another. And then so you got to just have to be aware of that and don't get frustrated and know that every single other space that you've seen that you thought was beautiful had that same problem. And so don't sweat it too much. Sweat it out as much as you can, but it'll change a little bit in the field and that's okay. Yeah, no, I fully agree. I think it's, that's when it's it does become frustrating, but I think you have to just stick with it and just make sure that it is going to work. And I think as well, like it's not sort of just settling. Like if you get frustrated with something because you can't have something somewhere and just being like, oh, I'll just put it there. I think that's the worst thing you can do if you're a bit frustrated. I think it's it's really important to actually be like, okay, no, I'll just have to revisit it all and just really sit down and make sure and plan everything right. to make sure it's right. Because there's no point in getting all the way there and then just settling for something if you don't want it. Right. I agree. All right. So those are all the big public areas, I think, in a home. But what about... Let's talk real quick about bedrooms and bathrooms. So bathrooms, again, I like to have spotlights in the bathroom. Um, I, I, that's just easy to have. Um, I think it's nice to have, uh, over the basin to have like a mirror and to have some sort of lighting. It can be integrated lighting into like a cabinet, um, that you wave your hand under and the light turns on, or it can be a wall light, um, above the mirror, which comes on at the same switch as the bathroom. Um, the spotlights. Um, but then I also like to have, again, another lighting on PIR because if in the middle of the night you have to go to the bathroom, obviously you don't want to wake yourself up and blind yourself with like all these spotlights. So it's really nice to either have low level lighting in the skirting or I have wall lights either side of my bath. So they're the ones that come on, um, or LEDs in an alcove. If you've got sort of like an alcove by the by the bath to put all your products in or in the shower. If you get the waterproof LEDs, they're really nice to have. 
just something that you can see, but you, you can't see too much. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to wake up too much. I think that's really nice as well to have that, to have that little feature. It does make it feel nice as well. When you're, when you're just relaxing in the bath, it does create another atmosphere. Mm -hmm. It's just absolutely. You can lay there and feel really relaxed and then get ready to go to sleep. And I think for any guest staying somewhere and that happens in the bathroom that we know you're half asleep, you just sort of go into the bathroom and just a very soft, low light and just, you don't, you know, bang your knee into something comes on. I think that's just a very, it's just a very thoughtful touch. Yeah. I just think, I think it's, if you're doing it from scratch, I think it, it has to be done. I just think it's one of those things that everyone gets up and you don't want to be blinded. Absolutely. <laughs> right. And then, um, what about bedrooms? What do you, what are your thoughts about how to go about designing the lighting in a bedroom? So, um, I guess it always depends on the style that people go for. Um, I like to have either bedside lamps wall lights or hanging lights, dependent on the style. So I think it's really important to factor in that you are going to have lighting either side of your bed and to have a switch for that lighting either side of your bed, but also to have the switch for the main light beside your bed. Because if the door is over the other side and you've just gotten into bed, and you're like, I think it's really important to make sure that all the switchings are thought of quite thoughtfully as well. If you've got wardrobes in there or a walk-in wardrobe, then obviously having lighting in there, on a motion detector when you open the door. So obviously you can see everything, which is quite good. Um, if you've got a dressing table, you can either have like two wall lights next to the mirror or a lamp on the dressing table, just something just to give you that extra light. Because sometimes when you have the ceiling lights, if you have say a pendant and you're at a dressing table, the light is facing the wrong way and it might cast shadows. So just having that extra light source in front of your face, I think is quite important. Yeah. In bathrooms, I think it's always, whenever you can have light coming kind of straight out from the wall towards your, towards, you know, your face, it's always extremely helpful because it does get rid of a whole bunch of crazy shadows that might otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it just makes life so much easier and you don't need to worry about them having to go somewhere else and being like, oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you guys may not understand this part of the conversation as much. No. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> we understand. <laughs> yeah. It's important. What about, um, what are your thoughts about um, recessed lights or spotlights in bedrooms? So if the space is big enough, I quite like it if there's sort of like, I really like the tiny spotlights. Yes. So they're like, 30 or 40 mil and they're really tiny, but they just give off such a really nice effect. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you want a dependent like light in the bedroom, I'd have one over the bed and then work the spotlight. So maybe just have four, like one in each corner, just it's on another switch on a dimmer. It's just another mood light setting, which I think is really nice. I think bedroom as well is like quite important with mood lighting, like lots of stuff on dimmer, especially when you're going to bed and you're trying mm-hmm. to like wind down and, um, having the option of all these different lighting, um, I think it's really nice. I completely agree. I do think that unless the bedroom is quite large, usually I think that having a central either surface mount or if you, you know, if you have a ceiling height, a hanging light, I think kind of having one just sort of in each corner for the spots or the recess, that's generally enough because. Yeah. 
I personally don't find it necessary to flood the bedrooms with light, no. like in the kitchen. No. And then, I mean, bedrooms will always have a window because of egress code. And so yeah. you will always get some natural light in there during the day. If you, you know, if you want a lot of light and if you're, I don't know, maybe it's a room for like a teenager and they're like doing their homework yeah. in there or something. So they will, there will be multiple sources of light plus always yeah. some natural light. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, the bedroom, the main place, the main thing you're going to do there is sleep and put your clothes away. So, I mean, as long as there's enough lighting to do that, I don't think that you have to have harsh light in those areas. I just don't think it's, it's necessary. Completely agree. All right. Real quick. Um, just to make sure that we didn't, um, confuse anyone earlier in the conversation, you mentioned color temperature in the, the lighting. So what's, um, can you give us a quick overview just of how it's represented when we buy lights and what the different numbers mean and what, like maybe what colors you look for in different rooms? So Kelvin's is how a light source is measured in color. So 3000 Kelvin's is a warm white. And that is my go-to light. I love that lighting. I think it's not harsh. I think it just gives a really nice glow of yellow. I, I quite like that as a color. Um, when you move up to 4,000, that goes up to more of a cool, cool white. Mm-hmm. So you'll get sort of like a nice white tone with that. And then 4,500 is where you go into sort of like daylight. So that's where people try and mimic, obviously, the daylight mainly in sort of schools and hospitals, you'll find that it's quite, I find it quite harsh. Um, in some kitchens, I think it's quite nice to have maybe the spotlights on a lighter, on a, sorry, on a whiter color, just to give you that brightness. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also you can bring in a softer tone. Mm-hmm. So you use maybe sort of 3,500 with a 4,000 just to, in the pendants and the spotlights, just to sort of, marry them together I guess but and then obviously as you go down the 3000 is the warm white the 2500 is really really warm white it's basically goes into sort of like a nice orange glow Mm. but that's how they're measured and you will find that on most boxes so most bulb boxes you'll have on the back and it will tell you if it's warm white cool white obviously that's when it goes higher into the 4000s right and so it's basically, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but like an old standard incandescent bulb, you know, just been on like regular table lamps forever. That's around 3000, correct? Yeah. 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 So that's, I think that's a good sort of rule of thumb for everyone to start being like, so you're the old, like if you buy an old lamp on an antique shop and just yeah. standard bulb, that's around 3000. Yeah. Which I think is a really good lighting. A lovely color. I think it's a really nice color. Yeah. I think it, it's really good for most rooms. Um, I think downstairs, I only have um, day or like a whiter light in the dining room. But then I have the extra, I sort of go extra like warm in the pendants. So I've sort of like mixed it in yeah. there. I think 3000 is really good. Yeah. It's good. I mean, that alone is a great point to just not to be afraid of mixing those different color temperatures in the same room. Yeah. Especially if you've got sort of like a low level um, plinth lighting that you want to have on a PIR at night, something really, really warm, like a 
2,500 or 3,000, it's still really warm. But then actually during the day, you really want that space to feel like it's daylight. So you put a 4,000 light in, which it just makes it fine during the day and it does its purpose at night. Right. I think the other, the only other thing I think I would add is that, I mean, it, it does describe, these numbers definitely describe the color temperature of it, you know, how warm or how cool the light actually reads to your eyes. But the other thing to keep in mind is that the higher that number, the Kelvin reading, the higher the color rendering that you'll get from it. And so like, that's why I think in the kitchen, like you're saying, if you go cooler there, it's, it does mimic daylight more and more. And the most accurate colors you will ever be able to, your eye can detect will be in full daylight. That's when the colors will be most accurate. And so you're preparing food, like the colors, the texture is all super important. And so I think if there's a space, like maybe you're designing a little art studio for yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. it's maybe important for you to give yourself at least an option of a very, very bright white that gives you a high color rendering. Yeah, I fully agree. Definitely. And especially in like, if you are designing sort of like an art space or something like that, I think it's important to look at lumens as well, which is the Mm. brightness of it, which um, you can go online and actually there's quite a lot of lumen calculators these days where you can put in the square meterage of your room and it will tell you to get the optimum light in there. It tells you how many lumens that you think you should have. And then obviously on the back of the bulbs, that also tells you sort of how many lumens per bulb. Right. Um, and it's, it's really happy. easy. It's simple yeah. math. Just add yeah. them up. Yeah. Make right. sure you get the optimum lighting. Awesome. All right. Last, um, last question for you is, so when you go to, say you go to more of um, a speci- like a specialty lighting shop and you look at their bulbs, there are a ton of different lamping options. And by lamping, I mean the actual like bulb, the, the fixture. Yeah. And so, um, besides, so there's the two main ones that come off the top of my head that we deal with every day are incandescent and LED and maybe compact fluorescent. Um, yeah, compact fluorescent. That's still around a lot. So can you kind of give us a sort of an overview of these three different types and where we may want to consider using them? Mainly over here, we use LED as sort of like standard now. I mean, it's everywhere. Every single light is an LED. It's really um, energy efficient um, Mm. in every single form. Um, So I think that like you say, like you can almost use that anywhere. Um, the incandescent, I think that that's more of a commercial side, maybe. Maybe that's something that people might more use commercially. I don't really come across it that much. Um, I tend to sort of stick to LEDs just because they're so widely available um, and so easy to use. Makes sense. Um, what about... Do you ever, how often, this is totally random, but how, how often do you like take an antique or a vintage lamp and rewire it? Um, I think it depends on the product. Obviously, if it, if, if it's a client's possession and they're just like, no, I, I really want to keep this lamp, but I want to have a different bulb in it. Right. Then I think that's when you would rewire it. I think that it's quite nice actually. I mean, if it's safe, 
I think it's quite nice to have <laughs> anything sort of left as it is. I quite like the right. the oldness of it mixing that with the newer styles. Um, but I think unless it's specific, they specifically want a type of bulb. Most of our clients want LED because it is so energy efficient. Right. Um, so we change everything over to it. So that's when we would get it rewired. All right. Excellent. Um, Sarah, there's so much information that you've given us today. Thank you so much. Um, I learned a lot and look forward to having you back on the show. All right. Thank you very much.